Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. 
This is our week six preview, so we're going to look ahead to Sunday as the Ravens finish their three-game road trip down in Tennessee against the Titans with a 425 game. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing all right. I work in a, a office full of technology and, and all this stuff, and I could not find a USB cord to plug in my nice microphone. <laughs> so I'm a little irritated that I have enough wire here to build seven houses, and I could not find the one cord I needed. All right. Well, very good. I'm glad we could make this work yeah. somehow. Thanks for thanks for getting this put together, Josh. Hey, no problem. Uh, but again, we're here to look forward to the Tennessee Titans. So uh, let's talk to Mike Herndon from Music City Miracles. Ken, you want to set us up? Sure. Uh, so, so Mike is a well-known Titans analyst from Music City Miracles. He lives in Nashville, and uh, he'll be talking to us about the Titans in terms of their personnel, their schemes, strengths, weaknesses, just the kind of things we've been going over week by week. Uh, with opposing analysts uh, uh, from the other city. And uh, uh, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are you doing? Really uh, happy to have you on, Mike. And I, I got to say, we've I've made five trips to Tennessee now to see a football game, and they are absolutely hands down the nicest fans in the NFL to to road to road teams. So uh, that's good. I, I, it shows though in our uh, our fan turnout because we always have big contingents of road fans here, and I guess. And, you know, at some point we're just kind of used to it. But, uh, yeah, we we like to be nice to the other team and, and hopefully, uh, you know, the, the Titans come out on top, uh, you know, it, if if you're going to be uh, a Titans fan. But, um, yeah, we, we, we treat the other teams well for the most part. All right. Well, very good. We I, I wish we had the same kind of reputation for that in Baltimore, but there have been some ugly things going on. And uh, I, I will say this, Cleveland and Oakland, if you want to avoid those two cities, those are probably the best two to avoid if you're a road fan, particularly for the Ravens. All right, so let's go. Let's uh, let's uh, talk a little uh, Titans personnel and, and whatnot. And I, I always like to start at quarterback because that's what everybody really wants to hear about us. So tell us about the development of Marcus Mariota and is he on track to be a franchise quarterback and the guy you really would need him to be? So that, that seems to be a uh, question that varies. Uh, the answer really varies week by week. It seems here in Tennessee, it's um, he's shown flashes. The 2016 season was excellent. 2017 was a step back and, you know, there was some injury uh, kind of context there with, with his performance in 2017 that, that it wasn't helping. And, and he also dealt with, I think, you know, PFF had him as the most unlucky quarterback, uh, you know, their words, uh, of 2017, because he actually had more interceptions than he threw interceptable passes, um, which is, is pretty rare uh, by their charting. So, you know, there was some context there with his performance last year, but it certainly was not to the level that he was in 2016. Now, 2018, he started off healthy and, of course, Less than halfway through the Dolphins game, he has a uh, freak thing where he gets hit in an odd way on his elbow, his throwing elbow, suffers some ulnar nerve damage and lost feeling in his throwing hand during that game. Threw two interceptions, came out immediately after that, after trying to kind of play through it, and then missed the next week and then half of the next game. Um, But he's back now. He's wearing this weird glove that has... Uh, the ring and, or uh, yeah, the ring and pinky fingers covered, but the middle and uh, 
index fingers out. Mm. So it, it's supposed to kind of help him with his grip. And it's not a, it sounds like he's not a hundred percent as far as grip and feeling and everything, but he's well enough that, you know, in the Eagles game, he looked fantastic. He was throwing the ball as well as I've ever seen him throw it. You know, obviously the Bills game wasn't quite as good for him. So it's really been kind of up and down. We're, we're waiting to see what he looks like being healthy for a stretch of time in this Matt LaFleur offense uh, to really make a, a big judgment on him. But there's, there's two camps. There's people that, that think he's a franchise guy. And there's people that, that think he's too injury prone or too uh, erratic um, to, to really be a guy you can build around. And I mean, I, I tend to fall in the camp that thinks he is an, a slightly unlucky uh, guy that can be a franchise quarterback. But I mean, it, the, the jury's certainly still out. Okay, so 2016, 26 TDs, nine interceptions. Obviously, that's a franchise quarterback with probably just about any number of yards. But in any case, he was 13 TDs, 15 interceptions in 2017. Go back to the, the statistic you gave from PFF about the interceptable passes. What was the problem with that? A lot of deflected balls getting intercepted? Yeah, so he had he had a few deflected balls that got intercepted, but he also he was really hurt by his receivers last year. He had um, a lot of drop passes and a lot of drop touchdown passes, and that's kind of continued into this season as well. But he. Uh, he threw he had a lot of plays where it was pretty obvious that he was expecting the receiver to run one route and the receiver ran a different route and the ball ended up in the defensive back's hand so there was a lot of that going on i think it was more miscommunication uh issues than it was uh deflected balls but they uh he definitely was a little bit unfortunate it seemed like the the only inaccurate balls that he threw were the ones that hit the other team's hands so all right. How did Mariota look against the Bills? Um, I thought he played fairly well. He was a little bit skittish uh, in the pocket. At, you know, against the Eagles, he looked very controlled. His pocket movement was as good as I've seen from him in his entire career. And then against the Bills, he looked a little unsettled. And I don't know if it was what the Bills were doing uh, schematically on defense or if it was the the fact that he was without Lawan on the backside and we were playing uh, basically a practice squad tackle back on his uh, his blind side there, but he looked uncomfortable. Now, he threw one interception. Uh, that interception was really on Nick Williams, um, a receiver that has since been cut from the roster. Uh, he failed to cross the face of a, a slot cornerback and basically just got out-muscled for the ball. Um but, yeah, obviously the, the passing numbers weren't great. I think he was 14 of 26 for like 130 yards or something like that. Okay. Uh, no touchdowns and an interception. So not not what you want to see, but his actual performance was not terrible um, from a just purely passing standpoint. Okay, so I, I did notice on the depth chart there's a big blank on the first wide receiver on one side. So Corey Davis is the number one on the other side. Is that was Williams' spot there? Um, no, actually, that was Rashard Matthews' spot, um, and he, you know, asked for his release after kind of being bumped down the depth chart by uh, a couple younger receivers, Taewon Taylor and Tajay Sharp, that were really pretty clearly outplaying um, Matthews early in the season, and he got frustrated with that, asked to be released, and, and they let him go. Um, so they're kind of rotating at that second receiver spot between Matthews and, or not Matthews, uh, Taylor and Sharp. 
Um, they're very different types of players. Sharp is a more of a, a size possession receiver. Um, Taylor is a, a smaller but very shifty, speedy guy. Um, very quick, good after the catch, that kind of kind of player. Um, I like Taylor in that spot personally, but both are going to play uh, against the Ravens on Sunday. Do, do, they, do they have uh, three wide receiver sets a fair amount, uh, or do they play a lot of two tight end, or play with a fullback, or what do they tend to do? They're right around sixty percent uh, eleven personnel with three wide receivers on the field. Um, okay. So it's kind of middle of the pack um, now. Tight, they do play two tight ends quite a bit, and they were doing that a lot early in the season when they had tackle issues, uh, obviously trying to protect uh, those those backup tackles. And then they also had, uh, you know, with, with Gabbard in the game, they were really trying to be a run-heavy team um, when Mariota missed that uh, Texans game and then also the first half of the Jacksonville game. So, um I think there's a little bit of context there. I think they'd like to be about 60 to 65% three wide receivers. So. Okay. So a lot of NFL teams now like to run out of 11 personnel because if you run without a fullback, you run into a six or seven man box. If you run with a fullback, you kind of guarantee you're running into an eight man box because that safety is going to be up and you're going to be seeing single high. Is that something that's the, that's the philosophy of the Titans as well, that they would prefer to run uh, from 11 personnel? I don't think so. I I, th- I think if you looked at the run distribution, I think a, they're running probably more out of a two tight set. Now they use a a tight end as a fullback pretty frequently, mm-hmm. and they've also started moving to some two running back sets where you'll see uh, Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry on the field at the same time, and some of that has been very effective. Um, that is something they just started doing two weeks ago against the Eagles, and they had a nice. Um, they have a nice series uh, where they, they got some back out there and, uh, and we're making some plays out of too bad. So. Okay. Do, do they spread their uh, uh, spread their backs or do they use them as a fullback and a and a and a tailback when they have both in the game when they have the pony in the game? Yeah. So if they uh, if they're playing Henry and Lewis at the same time, they will occasionally play Henry as a fullback. But most of the time, they're going to split Lewis out into the slot and okay. leave Henry out back behind uh, or beside Mariota. So. Okay, very interesting. So Ravens have done a little bit of experimentation, but really not very much pony backfield. They tend to like a fullback more. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's some good explanations. The, the running back situation in general, uh, speak to the, the success of Henry and Lewis, the styles. How would you describe them? Uh. They really couldn't be more different. I mean, I'm sure most people have seen the uh, images of Henry and Lewis standing next to each other. You know, Henry is 6'3 or 6'4, 245 pounds, and Lewis is 5'7 or 8 and, uh, you know, about 200. Um, So they're they're very different visually. But the funny thing is they really almost have running styles that are counter to their appearance. Henry is more the speed back. He can absolutely fly and open it up when he gets, you know, a clear run runway and can get some build up. His problem is change of direction. He just he's he's very slow stop and start. So if you can get him out, you know, with a little bit of runway, he becomes very difficult to tackle because that stiff arm is is really tough and he's uh, he's a load to bring down. He runs he runs like a big receiver. He runs like a big back. 
but he doesn't have necessarily the, the change of direction. Whereas Lewis is completely changed direction. He can stop and start on a dime, but he's actually really good between the tackles where he can kind of pick, pick and weave through, you know, a lot of trash and a lot of garbage in the, in the middle of a defense. And um, I would say Henry's probably the better outside runner and Lewis is the better inside runner. at this A little point. unusual yeah. based on size. Yeah. And is the is uh, uh, Deion Lewis is a fairly patient runner as he kind of was with New England at least that's the way I remember him yeah. like like Le'Veon Bell or like some of the other backs you see maybe Carlos Hyde falls into that category. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk some tight ends while we're while we're on the offensive skill position players. So the big loss to Laney Walker I guess is he still out? Yeah, he's still out. He. Probably will be out for the entire season. Uh, the he broke his leg just above the ankle. It was a pretty gruesome injury. Um, he wants to try to return later in the season if the Titans are in the the playoff hunt. Um, there's a possibility he could come back, but most people figure that he's he's probably done for the year. Um, and that's a huge loss. I mean, he's been he was a, you know been to three straight Pro Bowls. He's been the team's leading receiver. I think two of the last three years. Um, he's an incredible talent. He's good as both a blocker and a receiver. So they miss him tremendously. And the guy that they've got stepping in for him right now, Johnny Smith, who is a uh, second-year guy, third-round pick uh, in 2017, has just struggled tremendously. He's not playing very well right now. This is the worst position on the Titans roster at the moment. And they they haven't had a single catch from a tight end in two weeks. Um, they only have, I believe – Stocker and uh, who's the second tight end and Smith have a combined seven catches on the season, despite mm-hmm. the fact that they are they've basically been the two guys playing for four and a half weeks now. So um, it's it's a really bad situation there. What compounds that is that Smith is is really a liability as a blocker. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Stocker gets a little bit more playing time as they continue to try to work with Smith with his blocking because right now they, they can't they can't get simple blocks out of Smith and it's really hurting the running game. Okay. And and so Luke Stocker has been a pretty good pass blocker as I'm seeing it on PFF. Don't know mm-hmm. how much to look at that. But anyway, that's important when your tackles are struggling and we'll get to that in a little bit. I will say this the Ravens have been very weak between level two and level three at defending tight ends. Uh, they've only got one guy who honestly understands uh, who's, who plays at the either linebacker spot who really understands the game behind him, and that's Anthony Levine. And he's yeah. the dying back. Uh, so they've had a lot of trouble with that, and tight ends have burned him pretty badly. Uh, Smith, the- Smith is a physical talent. Now, he's he was a guy that. You know, he's about 6'3", 250, and he runs, I think he ran in the 4'6 range uh, at the Combine. He's He actually looks a lot like Delaney Walker physically um, and moves like him as well, but he just doesn't have the trust of Mariota. He, Mariota has consciously avoided throwing him the ball a couple times the last couple weeks Uh-oh. when he's been open, and, and that's, that's a problem right now. So, um, you know... It, it's possible that maybe he earned some trust this week or, or they try to get him going early um, and get him back involved in the game because they need something out of tight end. But right now it's just it's a disaster for, for the last couple weeks. OK. All right. Well, let's move to the offensive line. This is a topic near and dear to my heart. And uh, I score the offensive line. Uh, my wife and I do for, for the Ravens uh, uh, games and enjoy that. 
and post something every week on that. But we want to talk about the, uh, the, the tightness current situation. And I, one thing I can tell you, but just by looking at the numbers of counts and whatnot is their tackle situation appears very complex. Can you shed some light for, on that for us? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, this has been, um, it's been one of the strangest or really just most damaged injury situations I've seen at, at a single position group from the Titans in, you know, the entire time I've been covering the team. So they, they knew, so Jack Conklin, who's their starting right tackle, he was an all pro his rookie year. He's a, he's a easily a top 10 right tackle in the NFL when he's healthy. Um, well, he tore his ACL against the Patriots in the playoffs last year, which was the very last game of the season. So he missed the first uh, three weeks of this season, and we all kind of knew that that was coming. So they had Dennis Kelly, who's a swing tackle uh, backup, who was going to be filling in for him. And Dennis Kelly's a fine player. He, he's a, the kind of guy that you can start, and you don't have to over overcompensate for him. Um, and... So Conklin starts the season, you know, on the shelf. Well, halfway into the first game, Lawan goes down with a concussion on a cheap shot from the Dolphins. And so now they've, they've got Dennis Kelly filling in at right tackle, and now they bring in their fourth tackle, Kevin Tomfield, who was a uh, – he's kind of a swing player across the entire line. He, he played some right tackle for the Bucks before, but had never played left tackle before. So – they have him in there to finish the rest of that Dolphins game. And then after the first game, Dennis Kelly, the, the swing tackle that's playing right tackle for Conklin, comes down with some mysterious illness that we still aren't sure what it is. In fact, he's not sure what it is. And lands him in the hospital. He's missed every game since. So they started Pompeo, their fourth tackle at left tackle, and Tyler Merritt's their fifth tackle off of the practice squad at right tackle against the Texans and somehow managed to scrape together enough of an offense to win that game, um, despite the fact that they were basically playing with you know, guys that never should have seen the field, um, starting at two very important positions. And then Pompeo goes down with a torn biceps, ending his season in Jacksonville. And so Milan comes back. And so it's just been a constant revolving door. Now, Conklin came back. He's played the last two games and seems to be healthy and playing well. Lawan left this Buffalo game last week with a uh, foot injury, and we think he's probably going to be okay because they haven't made a move at that position. But if he can't go for whatever reason, it would be Tyler Merritt's, the practice squad tackle, or Dennis Kelly if they can get him back up to speed in time, starting at left tackle with Conklin at right tackle. So, it's been a, a real issue for the Titans. It's been a lot of the reason that that offense has been more conservative than it probably would like to be um, so far this season. And hopefully it gets ironed out soon because when Lawan and Conklin are both healthy and playing, they're two of the, they're one of the best tackle bookends yeah. in the NFL, but they, they just haven't been able to get synced up on the field at the same time this season. Yeah, that's absolutely the way I would view it in terms of those two uh, outstanding pair. How about on the inside? Uh, inside, they're mostly average. Um, ben Jones is probably more valuable in the fact that he sets all the protections and is really – he's really good about that. He's a smart player. They don't have many busts as far as protections that they just don't pick – they just don't pick up a guy. Um, so he's kind of the – that's the important thing that he does. Physically, he's just an average player. He's, he's not going to blow anybody off the ball. He's fairly – 
uh, adept at getting up to the second level on zone plays, which is really what the Titans offense would like to be in the run game. Um, at the guard positions, you've got Quentin Spain and Josh Klein. Spain is a little bit more of a mauler uh, type. He's a big, big body. He was playing really, really well at the start of the season. He's kind of had a couple issues the last couple games uh, against the Eagles and Bills. Um, he tends to struggle with quicker players. And then uh, Klein on the other side is more of a technician. He, he's a good mover. He's able to get out in space. Again, he fits better with this zone system that they're trying to, uh, to move to this year. And, um, but they're really average on the inside. The tackles are the strength of this, this offensive line group. Okay, so now it looks like Spain and Klein have played basically every snap the whole year, a couple exceptions for, for Spain, but uh, yeah. that's at least good to have healthy position that you don't have to be replacing. It's a sad sad point, and this is something the Ravens have run into also, but you can't really replace an offensive tackle, and you certainly can't replace a left tackle at this point in the season. So uh, you're stuck. In fact, at the end of camp, you're pretty well stuck because nobody's given up on their depth at that position. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I think that covers a lot of the offensive. Anything else on offense schematically you'd like to talk about? It's just about how the how they like to play, what they like to show. Yeah, I would say uh, you know if you're looking at stats and things like that from the Titans up to this point in the season, I think a lot of that has to be viewed with a lot of context because, like I, I described, the tackle situation has been extremely fluid and and just not good for most of the season. The Mariota injury situation, kind of bouncing in and out of the lineup for the first um, really three weeks of the season, and then coming back, you know, in a little bit of a limited form these last couple weeks, it's it's probably still not the offense that they originally wanted it to be. Um, and they've certainly been more ground heavy than I'm sure they would like to be. So I think you've got to got to look at some context there. They probably want really Lafleur's system. Matt LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, came from the, the Kyle Shanahan, uh, Sean McVay coaching tree. His, his plays and his, the design of his offense looks a lot like those guys. They're going to run a lot of play action. They're going to run a lot of outside zone. They're going to run a lot of bootleg, a lot of half boots. They're going to take shots down the field. They're going to run a lot of crossers, um, a lot of screens. That's the, that's the way the offense wants to be that's the way the offense looked in camp I don't know that we've seen that completely put together yet because of some of the injuries um, but ultimately I think that's what we will see if Luan plays this week I think I think it'll be more of what they want to be offensively than what they've had to be all right all right very good um, I guess that covers it for the offense if we can come back to it if you think of anything later and of course uh, on defense, one of the first questions I always like to ask is on the defensive line, how well are they stacked? And I, I, obviously we know some of the stars on the, on the Tennessee defensive line. Go through that if you would. But, but also, how well do they rotate, and, and do you feel like rest has been an issue for that group? Yeah, so uh, the star of the defensive line, of course, is Jarrell Casey. And Casey is playing the best football of his entire career right now. He has been playing at what I, I would consider an all-pro level um, through five games now. He's disruptive in both the run game and the pass game. He's one of the best technicians as far as hand usage and hand fighting among defensive tackles that you'll see, and he's got incredible quickness for a man his size just laterally. He, he's 
he's an extremely impressive player to watch just individually um, play the game. Now, joining him are really more traditional 3-4 run-stuffer types on the inside. You've got Daquan Jones and uh, Austin Johnson, a couple guys that are about 6'4", 320-ish. Um, they're not nearly as quick or as dynamic as Casey. They're more two-gap kind of uh, defensive tackle uh, players. And they've also got Benny Logan, who uh, who rotates in. But they're really – um, that's the main four that you're going to see on the interior. Um, the interesting thing about the Titans right now is, you know, they're, they're technically a three, four defense, but they have played very little actual three, four this season. They have been in nickel for probably over 90% of the snaps, uh, that we've seen this season, including two games against the Eagles and the Texans when they went 100% nickel and didn't come out of it regardless of opposing personnel. So, um, there's some, some interesting stuff that they're doing, but they're usually only playing two interior defensive linemen. And then they're playing two outside linebackers, outside linebackers on the line as defensive ends, basically. So, um, Casey's the star of that group. The rest of the guys are fairly average players. They're not weaknesses necessarily, but they're also not going to give you a whole lot of dynamic. Do, do they have a player that they bring in on pass as a pass rush specialist from the inside, like an extra outside linebacker they like to bring inside? They do, yeah. So what they typically do on third downs, especially third and long, is they will bring either Derek Morgan or Brian Rackpo inside and put them next to Casey, and they'll have Harold Landry, the rookie uh, defensive end, outside linebacker from Boston College, and the other guy out of Morgan or Rackpo on the other side. And so that's a really dynamic pass rushing mm-hmm. group um, when they can put those four on the field. I think Tennessee is second in the NFL in stopping third and long conversions, um, according to NFL matchup. And uh, it, that's that's really the big reason why. They can really get after the passer if they can pin their ears back and send that group in to get after it. Yeah, that's obviously an outstanding group. Casey Morgan, Arakpo, and Landry. And did they usually rush four on third down? Is that their signature and drop seven a lot of yeah. the time? They typically rush for now what they do like to do. It's something that Brable brought over from his time in Houston. It's kind of a diamond front look um, is what he calls it. It's five. They'll line up five across the line of scrimmage, basically dictating man-to-man blocking. And then they'll bail out one or maybe two and bring a corner, you know, a nickel blitz or something like that. But they generally don't like to blitz a ton uh, on third downs, they prefer to rush four and uh, and rely on the guys like Landry and Casey, who are real difference makers in that that part of the game, uh, to get pressure and, and be able to cover up on the back end. Okay, that's definitely been something. I I think that's the way you beat good quarterbacks. Period is to have an effective four man rush and not have to use a lot of your moving parts. I I, I like the slot blitz too. I I don't like uh, having to blitz your safeties a lot. And uh, anyway. That's uh, good enough on that, and uh, uh, let's move on and talk about the linebackers a little bit. Um, the linebackers, so Wesley Woodyard is, is really the best of the inside linebackers on this team. He's an uh, 11-year veteran, been around, seen it all. He's been playing his best football over the past two years. Um, and unfortunately, right now, he's dealing with a shoulder injury, so we may or may not see him in this game. Uh, they actually just promoted an inside linebacker from the practice squad, which makes me think that they might be a little bit uh, concerned about Woodyard's availability for this week. 
So, um, Woodyard's the most important part. Now, behind him, you've got the first-round pick, Rashawn Evans, um, who is struggling quite a bit right now. He's really – he missed almost all of camp with a, a hamstring injury and missed the first game. He just kind of is getting worked into the rotation now, and with Woodyard going down last week, he's – all of a sudden been pushed into a much bigger role than he's ready for right now. So he's kind of kind of struggling a bit. But the guy that's really stepped up uh, behind Woodyard is Jayon Brown, who's a second-year linebacker. He is um, a r- really good athlete, runs well in space, covers well. He really is their nickel linebacker. Um, when everybody's healthy, they prefer to have Woodyard and Evans in there on, on early downs and then bring Brown in for uh, – for passing downs, but uh, Brown's a really good player, and he's able to make plays, you know, in the running game when called upon. But uh, Brown's probably the best of that group if Woodyard's not playing. So, okay, so size-wise, Brown is a little too small to be a three-down linebacker at five eleven, yeah. two twenty-six. I'm seeing here, and they don't have a traditional dime back, not a safety that they bring into that spot. It's just a, it's just a, a nickel linebacker in the in the Titans case. Right, yeah, they don't they don't really play the dime back, and even if they did, they Kenny Vaccaro is currently out with an injury, so uh, they're a little bit thin at safety at the moment too. So I, I don't think uh, I don't think we'd see any of that uh, this week. They really stick almost exclusively with nickel. Okay, so in in Jayad Brown's case, and I, I imagine this is going to be true of the other young linebackers. How, how well does he understand the play behind him to defend? between level two and level three, because the Ravens have four tight ends they can throw at, at the Titans, and that's certainly a place where I'd expect them to attack. Yeah, so Brown is actually quite good in coverage, and, and I think his understanding of the defense and understanding of coverage schemes and, and offensive, you know, the way offenses are going to attack him has really taken a leap from year one to year two. And, I mean, he's had he's had some pretty good – uh, experience at this point. He played over 50% of the snaps last year. Um, he's you know playing a ton of snaps now this year with Woodyard out. So um, I think he's fine in coverage. We really don't worry about him a whole lot dropping back. He's more we we are more concerned with him on third and short when he has a tendency to kind of get blown off the ball or just mm-hmm. you know not not be able to to get off a block because of his size basically. So. Now, Evans, on the other hand, clearly just does not have a clue what's going on. It's, it's really been uh, a struggle these first or these last couple games for him as he's kind of had been forced into action. Um, he'd be the guy that I would look to attack if, uh, if the Ravens were going to go after somebody in, in kind of the intermediate passing zones. I would be throwing at 54 all day long because he is really kind of just lost out there right now. All right. Well, that's good to know. We'll take a watch for that. I, I really, I'm, I, I've become fascinated with this because of the way Anthony Levine has played so well the last couple of weeks in particular. But there's linebackers who can read the read the quarterback and figure out how that play is gonna gonna go through the window and can honestly know what's going on behind them without having to look to see what's going on behind them. Those guys are tremendously valuable, and they, if, if you have a linebacker who's the right size, who's 240 pounds and can play three downs, that guy's a $4 sign player right there. If yeah. you have a dime back plus a guy who's a downhill player for two downs, you can get that done a lot cheaper. And so it's, it, my theory is that having a dime back is really the way to go in the NFL for cap purposes. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And 
I would be, you know, I think the Titans toyed with that a little bit with some guys this, this offseason. But when Cyprian, Jonathan Cyprian, who was slated to be the starting strong safety, went down with an injury, I think they kind of scrapped that plan and just went to more of a, a just nickel set, um, just based off of personnel exclusively. All right. All right. Very good. So let's talk about the secondary now that we seem to be moving there anyway. Uh, tell us about the corners. So the corners are... It's it's an interesting situation right now. Adoree Jackson is a second-year guy. He was their first-round or one of their two first-round picks in uh, 2017, and he's playing outstanding football right now. He's their best corner on the team. He's an incredible athlete, great change of direction. Uh, he's not the most physical corner, um, but he can run with anybody, and his makeup speed can can and his athleticism, his ability to jump over taller uh, receivers and make plays has shown up. He, he made a great interception in the back of the end zone, basically just jumping over uh, DeAndre Hopkins in the game against the Texans. And he made a great play last week, uh, basically jumping up and batting a ball to himself uh, against the Bills for, for our only turnover of that game. He's, uh, he's really the guy that I think could turn into a superstar out of this group. Um, and he's playing at a really high level. On the other side, Butler is the other outside corner, Malcolm Butler, and he has been up and down. It's it's kind of his reputation anyways. He's he's known as a boomer bust guy, and he's had too much bust uh, over the past, uh, what, five weeks now. He's had two games where he's basically been completely shut down in, in the Jags game and the Bills game, but those aren't really dynamic passing offenses, so... Um, he's been hurt. He, he's given up, I think, four touchdowns already this year. Uh, and all of them were over 20 yards. Um, so he's, he's been prone to give up the deep ball so far. And the, the Titans fans have really been on him. Now, this past game, he played really well and that kind of cooled the, the heat on him a little bit. But, um, they need to see more from him. But when he's right and, and Jackson is playing well, and then Logan Ryan, the nickel corner, and he's really the big reason that they don't like to come out of nickel even when teams have multiple tight ends because Logan Ryan's playing really, really great football in the nickel uh, spot right now. Um, those three are really as as good of a, I guess, they may have the highest floor of any top three you know, cornerback group in the NFL, in my opinion. I think they're right there with, you know, your guys in, in Baltimore are, are very, you know, they've got a great top three, but there's not a whole lot of other groups out there that are able to put three quality players on the field that can cover. Like no, it's, it's unusual. The Ravens are fortunate. They really have a fourth on the bench as well, so life is good. Um, Adoree Jackson, big claim to fame against the Ravens was he carried the ball on the first play of the game, I believe, in last year's game. Is he, has he played any more offense? He has not played any offense this year. And, in fact, they, they had him on punt return uh, early in the year, but he suffered a uh, shoulder injury against the, or against the uh, Dolphins on a punt return, and then he suffered a concussion against the Jaguars on a punt return. And they have not – they've only put him back to return punts once or twice since. Um, now, they just cut the guy that they had replaced him uh, on punt return with, so we may see him back to returning punts again, but he has not been uh, been used on offense at all. Okay. All right. Similar story in Baltimore. Black Hole is the return game for the Ravens, who's had they've cut two guys for fumbling already, and they 
picked up Cyrus Jones, the expatriate for this week. So we'll see how that goes. Um, all righty. Uh, corner we've talked about. Let's go to safety. So safety, uh, the Titans are led back there by Kevin Byard, who's, uh, he was first team all pro last year, led the league with, uh, 10 inter- or eight interceptions. And I think he had a couple fumble recoveries as well. Um, he's, he's a ball hawk. He's not the, probably not the best athlete in the world. He's not, uh, you know, blowing, blowing anybody away with his physical traits, but he's got great anticipation. He's excellent in his coverage skills, technique-wise, um, and he's he's just a really great all-around safety. He, he'll make plays in the box. He'll make plays out of the box. They'll put him one-on-one on tight ends, and that's something that he actually – he's really good one-on-one with tight ends. They, they put him on Ertz um, about midway through the Eagles game because Ertz was just killing them over the middle of the field, and he basically took, took Ertz away. So – um, Byard's one of the best players on the team, and and he's a guy that's a threat to to make make picks all over the field because of his anticipation. Um, at the other safety spot, I don't think we're going to see Vaccaro again this week. He had a dislocated elbow that he suffered against the Eagles. He had been playing really well too, so it's it's kind of been a shame that they've uh, lost him. But uh, Kendrick Lewis, who you guys are familiar with, oh, yeah. is uh, currently the starter opposite Bayard. And you may see a little bit of Dane Crookshank, who's a uh, fifth-round rookie um, out of Arizona, who's physically an unbelievable talent, but but probably still has a ways to go from a recognition and uh, um, uh, scheme standpoint. Mm-hmm. Bayard, terrific player, had two interceptions in the ra- game against the Ravens last year, and was he undrafted? Is that correct? Two, uh, three years ago? No, he was. He was actually a third round pick, but he was okay. not invited to the combine. Um, and he, most people kind of were sleeping on him. He was a real late riser, and the Titans. Uh, he he went to college at a school that's about forty five minutes from Nashville, uh, Middle Tennessee State. And so they were aware of him locally. He had 19 picks in college, was highly productive, and they went and worked him out, and they said he just blew him away in the workout. And they, they probably reached for him in the draft, but it's turned out to be a great pick. Great pick. Absolutely great pick. All right. So uh, let's talk scheme defensively. We talked a little bit. The, the Titans don't really play dime. They play a lot of nickel and not too much base defense either in terms of a, of a, a true 3-4 front with four defensive backs, not very often. So uh, Ravens are a team that if they went to uh, a fullback and one tight end look, we, st- we still might see the nickel against from the, from the Titans? I would expect so, yeah. Okay. I would think so, at least a, a good bit of the time. Now, they may go into a base front for – a few snaps here and there, short yardage situations specifically, but for the most part, they want to be in nickel all the time. All right, that's that. A lot of the, a lot of play people around here have been calling for the Ravens to run the ball more, and that will certainly scream out for it if they're if they challenge the Ravens like that to run the ball. And the oh. Titans have have struggled to stop the run. That's been that's been a major problem. They're one of you know lowest ranked teams in the NFL as far as yards per carry allowed. Last mm-hmm. week, the yards per carry for the Bills wasn't great at three point three, but the, the Bills really controlled the game on the ground. That was how they were able to run the ball. Uh, I think they ran it 40-plus times and really protected Josh Allen. Uh, that was really how they were able to control and maintain uh, possession throughout the game. So the Titans have a little bit of a leaky run defense, so I, I think that, that would be a spot I'd look to attack if I was the Ravens. 
All right. All right. Very good. Um, let's see. Special teams. You want to talk about anything on special teams? Um, Darius Jennings is the, uh, the kick returner for the Titans. He's, uh, he's taken one back for a touchdown. He's had a couple other long returns. He's, uh, he's kind of a journeyman wide receiver that he can really run, but he's not much of a threat in the passing game, but he is a little bit of a threat as a, a kick returner. And Adoree Jackson is absolutely electric if they use him as a, a punt returner. So, the Titans are in pretty good shape in the in the special teams side of things. Their kicker is just about automatic, Ryan Suckup, and Brett Kern is one of the best punters in the game. Special teams has been excellent. They they scored on a fake punt against uh, the Texans, uh, one of their two touchdowns in that game. So they've uh, the special teams have really bailed them out of some tight spots at times this season, and uh, that that's a strength for this this team right now. Okay. All right. Outstanding. We've been talking to Mike Herndon from MusicCityMiracles.com. Before we close out here, uh, Josh, do you have some questions for Mike? Uh, No, I just want to get to the film study mailbag. And each week we ask people to come on on Twitter, send in your questions using the hashtag film study mailbag. So um, I want to get to this a little bit and kind of pick up on some stuff that we missed out on the defense conversations. Hoping that that maybe addresses with the Titans. Um, the way the defense played on this first one comes in from Jalen. Our defense played lights out, but what can you specifically point out uh, that costs us the game on Cleveland, and how do we then address that going into Tennessee? I, I mean, I think it's all about not giving as many opportunities to, to, to Cleveland to put the game away. I mean, the, the Ravens blew a ton of offensive opportunities. It's very hard to point to the defense and say this went wrong or that went wrong. Ravens' pressure was overall good. Uh, when they got pressure, they held uh, Mayfield under his expected yards for the opportunity set. Uh, you know, they had five sacks in the game. That wasn't the problem. They were getting pressure right to the end in overtime, so it wasn't rotation or snap count that gave them problems down the stretch. They did give up a 39-yard play on third and eight uh, with an extended pocket. That was just a very inopportune time to do that. They had another 27-yard play with 15 tacked on on the on the roughing the passer penalty by Jefferson that almost cost them the game before that. So they gave the Browns a bunch of chances. Uh, the Ravens certainly didn't pick up on their own red zone opportunities in this game and ended up with uh, a bunch of field goals and an interception in the red zone. So that did not go well. Uh, Michael Crabtree. Uh, still remains the GOAT, the primary GOAT in this game for, from my perspective and nobody on the defense. All right. Uh, one more question with, in regards to the Ravens offensive line and how they line up on the, with the Titans. The Ravens offensive line has struggled to make room for a running game with Alex Collins, as you mentioned before. Um, how do you see that progressing this week? And along with those linemen, what about the Ravens had struggled to allow guys in to uh, attempt to block Tucker with the kick in. How are the Titans line up with that in the special teams? Attack? Let's let's address that one in terms of special teams. We'll save the other one for the offensive line podcast. John. Okay, that works. So so who's the who is the Titans specialist in terms of blocking kicks and and how do they how do they go about it in in, uh, uh, in terms of their scheme? So they, they tend to rush off the edge. Uh, LaShawn Sims and Dane Crookshank are kind of the two guys that, that will do that. Uh, Sims is a, a backup corner, and he's a, he's a pretty good special teams player. Crookshank is a tremendous athlete, um, young guy who, uh, who's made, made an impact on special teams as well. 
they haven't blocked a kick in quite some time. I, you know, it's not something that uh, they've really had a lot of luck with over the past several years now. Obviously, it's a it's a new coaching staff, new new scheme. Um, you know, maybe it's it changes uh, at some point, but uh, the Titans don't don't tend to pose a, a huge threat as far as blocking kicks. Uh, boy, we are so happy to hear that in Baltimore after what's <laughs> happened in terms of block kicks the first few weeks of the season. All right. Well, uh, uh, what else do we have? Anything else, Josh? No, we normally don't do uh, predictions here, so I was going to ask. What's the one one or two keys that you have for the game for either the Titans or the Ravens side? How do you see this game laying out? You go ahead with that, Mike. Yeah, so I think for the Titans, the, the key to the, this game is going to be, one, they've got to get some sort of rhythm going with the, the run game. They've been really struggling to get either guy on track. Um and, and that just kind of, it's a ripple effect down the rest of the offense. You know, they can't, they've not been able to stay out of third and long. They've put themselves in positions where they've had to make very tough conversions uh, later in the, in the series because they can't get a, a lot of purchase on the ground game. Um, and I think Mariota's just got to have his wide receivers come through for him. They've dropped entirely too many passes. The Titans are, I think, second in the NFL in drop passes this season. Um, a lot of them, I think, uh, uh, Titans Film Room on Twitter, if you want to check out a thread of some of these drops, uh, put one together. And I think out of uh, eight drops, six of them had come on third down, and then the other two were potential touchdowns. Oh. So um, that's uh, that's been really, really painful for this offense. And the guy that dropped the uh, possible game-winning touchdown against the Bills, I mean, wide open, went right through his arms, was the guy that they released uh, today. So he won't be dropping any more passes. But it's really been <laughs> a problem across uh, the entire wide receiver core, and it needs to it needs to get better. Because Mario is not playing poorly. His, his receivers need to help him out a little bit. Okay, I'm sure that Ravens can, fans can very much uh, relate to that. To, to me, the, I think more than many games, because this is this is a, a couple of pretty good defensive teams, I think these, this is a game you got to get the first score in, and there's more chips in the pot, so to speak, on that first score. The ability to lean on the other team uh, becomes greater when you get that. You can run exactly the offense you want instead of any kind of a catch-up offense. And uh, neither of these teams, certainly not the Ravens on the road, with the way they have often played uh, in the Flacco era at all, but even this year, just in the game we just saw and the one at Cincinnati, are really built to catch up in the way that that uh, you know a lot of other teams around the NFL are. So uh, first score means a lot would be my key. All right. All right, well, Mike, we still have a few days until this game. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about Music City Miracles and how people can follow you on Twitter and ask their own questions as they prepare and process to get ready for this game. Yeah, so um, Music City Miracles is the uh, SB Nation's Titan site, musiccitymiracles.com. Um, I write a lot on there as well as a few other guys. Uh, most of my stuff is tape breakdown. If you want to go back and, and look at some of the stuff that the Titans are doing schematically uh, and some of the players that, that you'll be seeing against the Ravens this week, you can check out uh, the All-22 Review series that I have on there. Uh, if, you look, if you look for some of those, you can see kind of some of the film breakdown stuff that I've done. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Miracles. Um, and, uh, yeah, but... You can find all my stuff on uh, on Music City Miracles. So. Do, you, do you do a podcast ever, Mike? 
I do. So uh, I'm also a co-host of uh, a, a Titans podcast. Uh, we well, we do a Titans podcast. We also do an NFL uh podcast uh but it's called uh football and other f words uh it's at <laughs> f word at f words pod on uh twitter so look us out look us up check us out uh even if you aren't a titans fan uh we do cover nfl broad topics on there um so uh feel free to check us out we try to have a lot of fun on there all right terrific that sounds good uh, Mike could, can't appreciate more the, the, your ability to join us. I know this was not easy to, to, to find a scheduled time, and I really appreciate you making time and a schedule for an Opposing City podcast, and uh, we'll make sure we get it out there and promote it and, uh, and get some people reading it and hopefully pick up at least a few Twitter followers for your fine work. Of course. Well, I, I appreciate you guys having me on and, uh, and look forward to, uh, to seeing what happens in the game on Sunday. Yeah, that's a real nice guy, Mike. Uh, glad we could have him on the show. Very knowledgeable, obviously, about the Titans. Yeah, the Titans-Ravens have turned into just a great rivalry over the years. So it's always fun. I know lots of people are making the road trip down there. So I hope they're uh, listening to this while driving down there and getting ready for the game. Yeah, you know, that you make a great point because I didn't want to, you know, you don't want to rub the guest face in this, but one of the things that, that uh, we went to Nashville the first four times were four of the most exciting Ravens games in their history. They had the, the win in the, in the playoffs of 2000, which really was the Super Bowl that year. No other team could stay on the field with the Ravens. And then in 2001, they played a Monday night game where they where uh, Tennessee got stopped at the one-yard line on, on fourth and goal in an untimed down. Then they, right. they played in 2006, and they, got a, uh, uh, they had a blocked field goal to win the game with a few seconds left. And then in 2008, they played the playoff game again there, which was almost a... Uh, a mirror image of that 2000 playoff game, and they, they won that game 13 to 10. But uh, uh, wonderful place to go see games. The fans in Tennessee are so darn nice in terms of just they treat, they treat you very well outside, inside the stadium. They 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 want to talk to you. It's it's just it's a very nice environment to see a football game. Right, and you don't even have to bring up any Eddie George reminders or anything like that to the guys. <laughs> no, it works out. So. All right, Josh. All right, uh, we'll Russell Street Report and offensive episode coming out soon. Yep. So we'll, we'll get to those. Russell Street Report. I think everybody knows where to find the writing. Follow me on Twitter at Film Study Ravens. Uh, uh, we'll have an offensive line episode in the next day or so. Uh, Josh, tell us about where they can find your. Uh, go on over to BirdlandSports.com. Uh, Lots of podcasts up there, including Film Study, including Section 336. And a bunch of other friends of ours doing podcasts. So go check that out and get ready for the Ravens game. All right. Sounds good, Josh. All right. Have a good night. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.